So I want to introduce our uh, speaker this morning, Pastor Charles. Would you uh, welcome him as he comes? Well, good morning, everyone. What a festive morning. People seem to be in good mood. It's good to see you. So welcome to the river. My name is Charles. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we are in a sermon series called Flipped. And last time I preached, a couple weeks ago, I talked about and contrasted morality based on Bible rules and morality based on agape. Uh, Any of you were here then? It's pretty good, right? If I may say so myself. I (laughs) received a lot of uh, appreciation. Uh, But it also was somewhat controversial as I talked about the harm caused by conservative view of faith throughout history. For example, I brought up uh, how the conservative church defended slavery uh, as being supported by the Bible. Uh, In fact, the biggest uh, Christian denomination today in America, Southern Baptists, were founded to defend slavery in order to defend the Bible and God. And, And so... Such talk was somewhat controversial as I also talked about the continuing harm caused by the same spirit uh, done to, for example, the LGBTQ community. Now, this elicited some questions from a conservative uh, Christian who was visiting our church that day. Um, You know, We are open to everyone, and so you're going to have all kinds of diverse viewpoints, right? People disagree. That's very natural. And this person asked me about the story of Ananias in Acts 5. Does anybody know? Remember that story? It's a story of a a church member who lied to God and got, you know, died (laughs) right on the spot. And so... The point of the question, as far as I understood it, to be how small sins like lying could have grave consequences. Uh, it could get you killed. We don't know all the harm. We don't know all the implications. So, so we must be respectful of all the rules in the Bible. We have to follow them all uh, because we don't know. Uh, all the ins and outs, right? You can understand the thrust of the question and the passage, why it was brought up. And, and I, to be honest, the story of Ananias is not an easy one. It's not a comfortable story for those of us who believe God is love, that God is kind, that God is patient, that God is compassionate, like the father in the prodigal story. Um, it's, it's more, that story suggests, even though it's in New Testament, it, it suggests that God is harsh. God is more like that, that God of wrath in the Old Testament. Uh, that God is not forgiving. That God doesn't overlook transgressions. That even a little bit of a rule in the Bible, if it's broken, God will punish. Much like how God is described by the fire and brimstone preachers, right? It's a tough story. So I wanted to address 
that story today in this sermon. Because it would be so easy for me to bring up like a hundred other passages <laughs> that describe God in a completely opposite way. Um, and I often do, right? You know. But I don't want to get into pointless arguments. I'm not going to convince any conservative uh, Christian by, you know, citing passages back and forth, right? Just going into, uh, it's like a spitting contest at that point. That's not going to do anything. But I also know that some of you are disturbed by passages like that. That, 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 that even though it's very, very rare, a passage like this is so rare, you know, once or twice in the New Testament, perhaps, out of hundreds of passages. Nevertheless, it gives you a pause. It makes you doubt, right? It makes you wonder. If God is really like this, then, you know, LGBTQ, it's a rule in the Bible. Is that really okay? Right? It causes disturbance in your hearts. Am I right? I know that many of us struggle sometimes. And so I wanted to tackle this difficult passage today to demonstrate how a deeper look into the story can actually give us life-giving spiritual lessons for us today that's relevant. And actually, uh, an understanding of sin and righteousness from this passage that points to actually being opposite the conventional conservative view of this passage. Sounds good? Let's dig in. Acts 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. You see, there was a man who sold a property and gave it all to church. So Ananias and Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet, saying it was the entire sum. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. <laughs> Whew. That's pretty severe. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young man came forward, wrapped up the body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the man who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So, a very harsh passage, brutal, 
over seemingly small infractions. So at first glance, the lesson of the passage seems to be Ananias lied, God killed them. So don't break any rules. Not even small ones. You could die. <laughs> you know, God will not be fooled. As I said, this is like the God of the Old Testament. Uh, very rare in the New Testament. Um, it, uh, it is so rare, it stands out like a sore thumb in contrast to pretty much every other passage where God seems very merciful. For example, a woman caught in adultery seems like a little bigger deal than a little fib. Just let go with a warning. Nothing. Very merciful and patient. So the first point I'd like to make is don't construct a theology about God, like God is harsh, on just one passage, whatever passage it may be, especially a passage that is contradicted by many other passages. You have to think a little deeper. If some passage makes you think, oh, this is not like the other one, I have to think about this. What's going on here? Take a pause, right? It demands a more careful inspection. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, how many people lie to God? Right? I mean, you, you, you know, in every court case, people come up, put their hands on the Bible, right? Every single one. And they swear before God to tell the truth, nothing but the truth and the whole truth, right? Now, do you think every single one of those people are being entirely truthful? You know, mafia people? They are going to like go on the witness stand and say, yeah, 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 I killed all those people. I assassinated them on the order of my capo. You think they do that? So many people lie, and have you heard of anyone dropping dead? I have not heard not a single person dropping dead in the court. Not once. And consider court leaders who use the name of God to scam people. Church leaders that abuse kids in the name of God, using God. I mean, aren't they horrible things? Have you heard any of them dropping dead? Not once. So is this something that happened once in 2,000 years? It happened 2,000 years ago once and never happened ever again. And we are supposed to take the lesson, you lie to God, you die? I mean, how does that work? Right? I mean, think about it. Millions of people have done this and it hasn't, they haven't dropped that. So, so is that the lesson we are supposed to take from this? Something that never happens again? Is that what the Bible is about? Something that will never happen, but take it as a lesson. No, Bible is not for the dead people. Bible is for the living. God is not of the dead, but of the living. It has to be. The Bible has to be alive for us today in relevant ways. Amen? You have to respect the Bible. That's why I believe 
the relevant lesson, the real lesson from the story of Ananias is not about how God punishes rule-breaking with physical death, but it's about the spiritual death that comes from lying to yourself and to others and to God. Uh, the passage itself makes that fairly clear when Peter points out what the real problem is. He says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. This is the crux of the problem. Peter makes it clear that Ananias was under no obligation to donate the money to church. Doesn't Peter make that very clear? This was your money. It was at your disposal. You could do whatever you wanted with it. You don't have to give to us, right? He's making that point very clear, right? In fact, how many people would give this much to church? Ask yourself. I mean, if someone in the church, hypothetically, said, listen, we sold our two-bedroom apartment property in Soho, and we decided to give it all to church. Wow, amazing, right? Because you laugh because you understand immediately this is an amazing amount of money. Probably a couple million dollars at a minimum, right? And you think, you laugh probably because you think nobody would do such a thing, right? <laughs> it's amazing. Now, if Ananias came to church and gave $10,000 and said, this is all we got for an apartment in Soho, <laughs> that would be like, that would be stupid, right? <laughs> I mean, that, to be credible, maybe you could keep back a part, like maybe a quarter, right? At most, you could keep back a, a quarter, like maybe five, a half a mil, and bring a million and a half and say, okay, this is all we got. That's the only way to be even credible. Don't you think? Now, this is a very important question. How many of you would give that much money to this church? Anyone? How many of you here? Come on! Don't you love the river? You love this church? Come on. I'm shocked. <laughs> now, don't worry. Nobody expects you to. The point I want to make is they gave a crazy amount of money to church. Right? Something that not, well, maybe there's one of us. I don't know. Not many of us would be willing to match that kind of generosity. Probably none of us. They seem to have quite a lot of love for their church, quite a lot of faith. They were not terrible people. They had more faith and generosity than most of us sitting here. But the problem was they wanted to look better than they are. It's not that they were such terrible people, right? They just 
they put on a mask, right? To look better than they are. They had enough faith and enough love and enough generous heart to give million and a half, just not two, right? That was the problem. They just wanted to look a little better than they are. And we can sympathize with that, right? We can understand that. Don't we all want to look better? I, I, I mean, today's social media culture seems to be all about putting up posts that make us look better than we are, right? I mean, you don't put your 6 a.m. just, I just woke up kind of thing. You, you put up like vacation photos. Your family looks all lovey-dovey when like you just had like a knockout, drag-out fight just before. But you know, oh, let's take a picture for social media. And you just like, everybody's like smiling. We're all happy, right? The whole society seems to be engaged in that. And church is no better. I mean, we've all heard the phrase, Sunday best, right? You're looking your Sunday best. What is that, if not trying to look better? Now, I am putting on my Sunday best right now, so, you know, that's all okay. But there's a way to do it that comes from the place of liking and embracing yourself, and there is a place of rejecting yourself that compels you to try to look better, and the difference is night and day. So really what is striking about this passage is that it, it, it's warning us how serious and how deadly it can be to try to look better than you really are depending on where that's coming from. That's what's striking, because we don't take it that seriously, trying to look better. So this is not a simple lesson about don't break a rule of God. God will kill you. God will not be forgiving. God is exacting and harsh. Because then, how do you explain Apostle Paul? I mean, that man went around killing Christians in the name of, name of God before he became St. Paul. You know that. Now, wouldn't you think that murdering God's people in the name of God, that's kind of breaking God's rule, right? <laughs> you would think that's far worse than a little fib about how much you gave to church, right? So even from conservative rule-breaking point of view, if you really believed that God is exacting and that God is a just God, shouldn't the punishment be in accordance with the severity of the crime? That's justice, right? More harm, more severe harm it causes, more severe the punishment should be. So a person who kills Christians gets forgiven, not even 
a little punishment, it gets forgiven and, and given a chance to actually take a great place of honor, a great honor. We still remember him, Apostle Paul, a great place of honor in the kingdom of God. Don't you think? How is that justice? Very puzzling, isn't it? Why this was such a severe punishment was meted out or was experienced by Ananias. This is not a simple passage that you can just take and just construct a whole theology around. Rather, it is a spiritual lesson about inner death that comes from putting on masks which connects to the original sin and the fall of the entire mankind as described in the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. You remember that story? How Adam and Eve, representing humanity, because it actually means the man and the mother in original Hebrew. Adam means the man. Eve means the mother. You know, you, talk, you hear things like, you know, it's Adam and Eve, it's not Adam and Steve. <laughs> I should think that's just... It just in what they, it, the the original story. It just said the man, and the mother, <laughs> and we just like didn't translate it and just take it as if it was an actual name. It just betrays ignorance. <laughs> but anyway, the man and the mother representing humanity. They they put on a fig leaf to look better than they are, didn't they? Right? They were warned by God: if you eat. From the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. Remember that? They eat it. What happens? And the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Before this, they were happy with who they are. They, they were naked. They could see themselves as they are, and they had no problem presenting themselves to each other, to themselves. Now they feel compelled to cover up, to put on a mask, to look better than they are. You see that, right? And then they hide from God. And then when God asks what happened, the man says, the woman you put here with me, she caused all the problems. Remember that? Right? The man tends to do this. <laughs> so, you know, if you're in relationship with the man, you know, forgive them. You know, we, we have our blood from, this is an old story that's true today. <laughs> Happens all the time. But can you feel the blame and alienation and judgment here? The women, you God put here with me, she caused all the problems, right? This alienation, rejection, judgment, blame. Adam is in a complete place of isolation now. Adam has pushed away everything real and important, right? Pushed away Eve, pushed away God, and pushed away even himself. I cannot imagine a greater isolation. Can you? If you hate yourself, if you judge yourself, if you judge everyone in your life, if you judge God or reality and push them away, what's left? You have nothing. You are in a black hole all alone. I cannot imagine a greater exile. This 
is exile from Eden. This is spiritual death. This is hell, where you cannot connect to anything real. So you see the exile from Eden is not just an external punishment from God arbitrarily handed out because they broke a rule. It's just a natural consequence of what they did. And God just put a label on what happened. You see that? The Bible is just describing what just happens. It's like if you fall from a 10-story building, you're going to get splat. Is that a punishment? You could argue it's a punishment. It's a consequence. It just is naturally connected. It's part of reality. And this connects to Ananias' story today. Please note the passage does not say God killed him. He says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Like a consequence. Like Genesis 3. Like spiritual death. Like exile. It was a consequence. Spiritual death. You see, if you live with a mask on, you can do it to the extent where it's just a mask now. And at that point, you have no hope of true connection. When people interact with you, they're not interacting with who you really are. They're interacting with your mask. You see that? So who you really are inside, you are in exile. You are in isolation. You have no hope of true connection. So you see, the story of Ananias is a repeat of the story of the fall of mankind in Genesis 3. Now you can wonder, what's so bad about eating from knowledge of good and bad? Now it would cause fall of mankind and hell, and it's called the original sin that causes all sin, according to the Bible. I mean, isn't it good to know and differentiate between good and evil? Isn't church all about telling you what is good and what is evil? That's why I love the Bible so much. If somebody were to invent a religion, they would not go around saying, knowing between good and evil is the cause of all issues. <laughs> that makes you think, go deeper, that it has divine components to it. It is higher than us. This is where I ask us, I ask you to submit your worldly thinking Submit your conservative, surface, immediate, instinctive reading to the wisdom of the Bible. The Bible tells us this is the root sin. All sin comes from this. Pride comes, this, comes from this. Deceit comes from this. Insecurity, fear, anxiety. Because you have rejected yourself and you need fig leaf to make yourself feel better, you grasp after more and more and more to just make yourself feel a little better and it's never enough and everything evil in this world comes from this place of isolation, rejection, this emptiness in your soul. Do you understand? And this is true in my life and in your life and everyone's life today. Everyone is judging everyone, including themselves, in their head. Ranking and categorizing, where do I fit in? So this is my first practical suggestion today. 
Resist putting on masks to look better than you are. Take this seriously. Take this very seriously because you know this is not a good thing to do, but take it seriously. It can be the root sin that will destroy you. Be very careful. You are not rejecting yourself. Now, today is the Pride March Day, as Mike alluded to. A bunch of us are going there, yes? Woohoo! And today, Natalia shared a powerful poem about the pain, about the experience of destruction, about agony, uh, being born queer, and not being able to satisfy her family's expectation, her church's expectation, the world's expectation, and just the agony of breaking apart trying to live up to those standards. And this is why so many people in LGBTQ community in church commit suicide. Far higher than general stat, which is already higher than the normal. It's so difficult. And she's not alone. Last week, Austin shared his story about how he came out and how that was received, how his family was devastated. Just her mom just couldn't stop sobbing. His sister, married to a pastor, wondered about him going to hell. They asked him to stay single and refrain from any activity that he might be inclined to do so that he could be saved to go to heaven. I ask you to put yourself in their position. Just walk in their shoes for just a minute. How would it feel to come out to your family, this is who I am, and they start sobbing. They tell you you're going to hell. They reject you. I, I think it would be pure agony. Right? I, I mean, it, it is unimaginably painful, in my opinion. It would be such a high cost. Who wants to break their mother's heart? if you have a loving relationship. I mean, it's like death in your soul. The only reason you would do such a thing to come out is that the alternative is worse. You can't stand it anymore. You can't deny yourself anymore. You can't lie to yourself anymore. You can't lie to God anymore. You try and try and try. You try to live straight because every incentive goes towards that. So you tried, but you just can't anymore. Can't live with a mask anymore because it feels like hell to you. Because it is hell. There's no hope there. 
There's no genuine connection there. Only rejection and alienation from God and from yourself, from everyone in your life, because you, are, you have to live with a mask on. Do you see what a place of death that is? The place of exile that is? So please understand that coming out is an act of righteousness. They're coming out. It's the opposite of what Ananias did. It's the opposite of putting on a fig leaf. You see that, don't you? What Adam and Eve did in rebellion to God's unconditional love, in unbelief and rejection, they put on masks. That is hell. And we see it in the stories of people. Once you moved by their story, don't you feel the power in their story? It is the power of the Holy Spirit reconciling people to their true self, taking off the fig leaf. That is a movement towards the tree of life. That is rejection of tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is rejection of the original sin. It is an act of righteousness. It is a prayer. It is a movement towards the God of the cross who embraces you unconditionally in agape love. You are the beloved. You are embraced as you are. This is the challenge of faith. Can you truly believe that God embraces you as you are unconditionally? For that is the only place where you can take off the fig leaf. It is difficult. It is not easy. Especially with the church always putting on guilt and shame and pressure and telling you how bad you are, God's going to punish you, which only leads to putting on more masks. That is the work of hell, of Satan. Satan fills our hearts with compulsion to cover up to look better than we are. That is why Peter brings up Satan. Do you see that? It's not about you. It's about God and how God loves you. Believe it. Have some faith that God who gave the only begotten Son, the God incarnate, to the cross unconditionally would today embrace you, put the finest robe on you, would kill the fatty calf, would throw a party over you without one word of scolding, complete embracing. Yes? Amen? That is God of salvation. We celebrate and worship today. So, reject the rule-centric view of the Bible that you've been brainwashed with over so many centuries. The Bible says, you who are seeking righteousness through Bible's rules have been alienated from Christ. You have nothing to do with Christ if you go that route. Christ is the end of the Bible's rule-keeping for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you believe 
Let's follow Christ. We are not Biblians. We are Christians. Bible itself tells us this. Never go back to that slavery. So read the Bible with agape as the central interpretive grid. My second practical suggestion. Agape is the greatest commandment, unconditional love, because it reverses the fall, reverses Genesis 3. So don't read the Bible with rule-keeping as your interpretive grid. Don't read the Bible to like, yeah, oh, what is the rule? What is the lesson? I have to do this. No, read it as a love letter from God to humanity. Follow what the Bible says. It says all the commands of the Bible are summed up in one principle, agape. Agape does no harm. Therefore, agape is the fulfillment of every requirement of the Bible. Use agape. So when you read passages like women should submit, women should not even speak, men must lead, you cannot be a pastor. Do you, do you know that the largest church, Saddleback, Southern Baptist Church, got kicked out of the Southern Baptist denomination this month because they anointed a woman as a pastor? <laughs> Because there is a rule in the Bible. But you see, there are opposite verses too. There is no man or woman in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. So you see, there are opposing camps, even within the Bible. So which one should you go with? Discriminate between men and women in Christ? Or there is no man and woman in Christ? Which one's right? Use agape. Agape says unconditional. So conditions like gender, conditions like skin color, they should not lead you to discriminate. It connects to knowledge of good and evil. It stands against agape. It is the greatest sin. If the church had just listened to what the Bible says on using agape, church would have stood on the right side of history every time instead of supporting slavery for 1,800 years. Because there's no specific rule against it in the Bible. But discrimination tells us it's no good. So today as a church, we stand with agape. We stand with the tree of life. I spoke with passion today because this is very deep conviction. I hope you forgive me for going a little long today. There's an important message here because conservative Christianity, rules-keeping Christianity forces people to put on masks which leads to lying to yourself and to God and to others the sin of Ananias, the sin of Adam and Eve. Very, very serious. It is, it is my personal opinion, but it is the one sin God cannot fix. If you choose to use this to go into that great place of exile and isolation, God will honor that choice. And there is no hope of redemption from that place of exile. You cannot connect. That's why this is such a serious sin. 
murder can be forgiven. It can be fixed. But if you're in that false place, nothing will get through. So please take this seriously. Don't go with those messages. Join the cause. Spread this message of liberation, of connection, of life-giving love of God that's unconditional. Amen? Amen. All right. So today, after the service, a whole bunch of you are going to Pride March. Go, walk, celebrate redemption, righteousness, coming out, being true to yourself. Encourage people to be true to themselves. That is the work of the gospel. You are being the salt and the light in this world. You are advancing the kingdom of God. This is how God changes history. So go be part of that if you can. Now, there are others of you who don't or cannot go for a number of reasons. I personally cannot go and march because I have back problem, knee problem, ankle problem, calf problem, (laughs) stomach problem, and neck problem. And so, if I marched, I might die. So, <laughs> so I'm staying here. I'm going to do chat with Charles upstairs. You might have questions. You might, my sermon may have been something you never heard before. You want to push back. You want to ask questions. Come up, especially if you are kind of new to the church. Find out about this church. Join me and hang out with me. Sounds good? So a couple of options for you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this message of life. God, thank you for being so loving and accepting that we might come out of our shells. Now we could remove our masks and be ourselves. This is a message not just for the LGBTQ community, For all of us as human beings live with masks on. We are all in this place of exile and isolation and fear. Help us, O God, to believe the gospel just a little more so that we could just take off the mask just a little bit and experience relief, experience heaven, that we can come out of this hell we have put ourselves in. Grab our hands, O God. Let this church be a place of sanctuary where we can embrace each other, encourage each other to come out, all of us, from that shell, from that place of isolation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.